Uh, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, August 16th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the long-anticipated filing of a federal lawsuit challenging Arkansas's work requirement rules for Medicaid recipients, a First Amendment showdown on Capitol <clears throat> grounds, and gun violence in Arkansas. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Afternoon. So, a lawsuit was filed in the federal uh, court for the District of Columbia challenging work requirement rules for, for many Medicaid recipients. You know, this is just, in retrospect, real simple, particularly since there's already been a successful case out of Kentucky, and Governor Asa Hutchinson or others tried to say somehow Arkansas was different, but it's not. These cases are really very simple. Medicaid was passed to help poor people have health care. That says you can arbitrarily uh, throw people off Medicaid for not working. Um, it's not a work program. It's a health program. So uh, I think that uh, Arkansas stands to lose this case unless something drastically changes. The one disappointing thing about this, to me, not surprising but disappointing, just the same, was that Governor Hutchinson chose not to deal with the legal issue at all, which has been hanging out there, obviously, all this time, but instead talked about how this program is all about making people be more responsible and getting jobs and getting back in the workforce. And, you know, we've had... (laughs) any number of studies over the years that show that putting work requirements on welfare don't produce anything over time in terms of better employability. And in fact, when you deprive people of some of these benefits, it uh, makes it harder for them to get out of poverty because their situations become so dire. Not to mention that they get sick and they die. But that's uh, Hutchinson has made the decision that it's just good for politics to punish poor people with this work requirement. He's not going to back off on it. And as an election issue, he's probably right. That's the depressing thing. So who filed the lawsuit? Well, it was filed by three uh, groups, the National Health Law Center, Arkansas Legal Aid, and the Southern Poverty Law Center. That was another thing. Hutchins said, well, Legal Aid gets some public money to do this kind of thing to sue us. Well, he gets a lot of public money, and all the people that are standing on the necks of poor people get a lot of public money, too. And that you know that might offend me a little bit as well. I just think I'm I'm glad we have Arkansas Legal Aid looking out for legal interest to poor people who can't afford to hire a lawyer. And this was filed in the D.C. Circuit instead of the Eighth Circuit, which is Arkansas well, yeah, because the, it's a federal. The, the, the D.C. Circuit's a better place to go, but it was filed there because it's filed against the federal government. It's filed against the Medicaid office and the people that make the rules that granted the waiver to Arkansas. Arkansas is not a defendant, I don't think. I think the only defendant's the federal government for allowing Arkansas to get away with this. Right. I mean, uh, Hutchinson presumably would have tried this under the Obama administration, but he knew that they wouldn't grab it. Actually, now that we mention this, I'm surprised Leslie Rutledge hasn't already made a big noise about jumping to intervene in this case to protect our interests, but yeah. surely soon. Uh, and do we have a sense of timeline? How, how you know, I just, I just don't know. Uh, I think that... I think they're seeking uh, an injunction, and certainly at the point at which in about one more month we're starting to talk about thousands of people losing benefits for failing to comply with the reporting requirement, that then there's going to be a pretty strong argument for a temporary restraining order, the the first thing being irreparable harm, and certainly losing your health care would be irreparable harm. So I like the state's chances on, on getting a, getting an injunction or a restraining order against this. Uh, that was another thing, by the way, that comes to mind is that the 
the lawsuit talks about the difficulty of complying with the work requirement because you have to go online only and, and how difficult that's been for people. We've already had 13,000 people who failed to meet the re- reporting requirements after two months. And again, this is another thing where governor saying, well, this is just good for you. We're going to teach you all some responsibility. He didn't provide a computer or a smartphone for people to do it, but he promises they'll, they'll be as helpful as they can be, but it hadn't been very helpful. I think we've only had like 800 people successfully who are in the target group successfully report on their work. It's, it's a, it's a disaster (coughs) is what it is. So if, if we think that the chances of this lawsuit succeeding are high based on the Kentucky example, uh, you know, this, this policy, uh, this waiver approval seemed to help Hutchinson push this through the legislature. it requires a three-fourths approval, which is always right. Thorny. And the legislature is about to meet. And now the elections went well for him in the Republican primaries. He's got a friendlier group of legislators than he had, and and they will they will again be met with the same thing they were met when they approved Obamacare and the, the Medicaid expansion in the first place, which is. You can you can get on your high horse and say, well, we can't get away with our work requirements, so I'm going to quit this. But if they quit this, it goes back to the same formula that passed it in the first place. Hundreds of thousands of people benefit, and not just poor people who need health care. Hospitals, doctors, clinics, physical therapists, nurses, home, home aides. It's, it's an immense economic stimulus to the state to get this money to come in and keep people employed. And it wrecks, it wrecks the budget and makes passing tax and cuts. And we, we make money off Medicaid. Yeah. We make money off Medicaid, and if he wants to have a tax cut, the last thing he needs to do is get out of the Medicaid expansion. Okay, let's leave it there and move on. The Satanic Temple unveiled its statue for a rally in support of the First Amendment. <clears throat> Protection against state establishment of religion this week on Capitol grounds. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's tempting to say this is all silly but it's not i mean it's important and i've never gotten fully inside the head of lucian greaves the the pseudonym for the leader of the satanic temple but he's very principled and gosh i i posted online today in our item about the the display yesterday the speech he read at the at the event about why they've mounted this effort to place this graven image on capitol grounds where people have tried to erect erect religious monuments and you know it's a really thoughtful disquisition on religious pluralism and on the first amendment and constitutional rights and why what he's trying to say is not that i want to put baphomet on every capitol grounds he's saying we don't need to clutter up capitol grounds with with favored religious or political viewpoints and of course that's correct i notice even on on a newspaper that's wrong on just about everything the democrat gazette is right about that they understand that less is more on a capital ground where we're an immensely diverse society and we don't need to be picking out jason rapert's brand of religion for for special treatment but it's still, you know, you've got this weird statue. You've got this weird group of followers. We brought out some neo-Nazis to defend the Ten Commandments. I didn't quite get where they were coming from, but there they were. I mean, slavery proponents think uh, 
they support the Ten Commandments? I don't think so. I mean, by my lights, at the Methodist Church I was brought up in. And you had Jason Rayford skulking around, and they came up with some excuse to, to block off the Ten Commandments monument. I said they were getting anti-graffiti treatment or something conveniently on the day of this demonstration, although it was never under threat. It'll be decided in the federal courts. Uh, I think uh, Greaves of the Satanic Temple and Matt Campbell on a Blue Hog Report post just made mincemeat of, of Jason Rayford's legal argument that somehow the, this statue, his statue, can be defended at the Capitol. It just simply can't. The law is clear, and it's meant to favor religion. And every pronouncement Rayford makes is about morality and how he's got it and his opponents don't. Although, actually, the Satanic Temple brought out some Christians to speak, including one preacher from Jason Rayford's own district who, who defended what was going on there. So so I don't know. I mean, the federal court's going to decide, and there's there's a lot of demagoguery to come. Yeah, Jason Rayford is going to make plenty of hay out of this and money. He's made quite a bit of money fundraising. Yeah, and, and has made no report on how he spent it. Yeah. Finally, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette uh, over the weekend reported that Arkansas ranked seventh in the country in gun deaths per capita, but said uh, somewhat obviously that there was uh, little legislative interest in a range of gun safety legislation that's being considered you, in other states. You know, this 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 was interesting. It was a really extensive, thorough piece of reporting by their staff, and, and I, I'm not I'm not being critical anyway when I say this, but, you know, that was kind of agenda journalism after a fashion. I mean, I think you can say that states with better gun laws, by my lights, better gun laws, have lower gun death rates. But, you know, correlation is not necessarily causation, some of the critics of this piece have said. Now, I happen to think there's a lot of support for the prospect that that gun safety laws do have a positive impact on on gun violence i mean it just i think there are some studies that show and it certainly stands to reason if there are fewer guns available in a household there's less likelihood of a gun accident let us say for take out all the ill motives but that accidents won't happen if there aren't any guns to have them with and it is interesting in fact i noticed that there was a defender of, from a right-wing columnist in the Democrat today saying, well, now you got to look at these gun death things a little more closely. We have an unusually high suicide rate, as if you shouldn't be talking about gun safety, gun, gun deaths in the context of gun safety laws. Well, the suicides are particularly something that could be discouraged by a waiting period for a gun purchase, by laws that made sure people who had were more sure about how people who had bad backgrounds wouldn't be have access to guns why safe storage of guns by people who had them might keep them out of the hands of kids who might use them i mean this was just an absurd argument i thought that somehow oh well oh, we got a lot of suicide so it doesn't count i mean to me that's one of the really big issues about gun safety laws is discouraging suicides so but no will, will this have any effect on the arkansas legislature no yeah, and and the governor was asked about it, and he said non-starter. Non, and again, you know, I think I think Asa Hutchinson in the election season is really going to the base. I mean, beat up on the poor people. Gun laws are non-starters. It's, uh, I mean, actually, he's being the Asa Hutchinson that I've always thought he was. He's gotten away with seeming sort of moderate and not as hardline, and he's just as hardline as they come. I mean, it's. 
And I'm not to say that's politically a bad move in Arkansas, but it doesn't do much for me in any case. Well, those are the topics I want to discuss, but since we have a little bit of time, uh, let's talk about uh, literate politics. Today was the filing deadline for city offices. Yeah, wow, and it was uh, more interesting just about ever, although Kathy Webb and Lance Hines both got off without opposition. But vibrant democracy everywhere else. We've got five candidates for mayor. The the first four we already knew about, uh, Baker Curris, Frank Scott Jr., Warwick Saban, and Vincent Tolliver. A fifth candidate, kind of a perennial uh, pro-pot libertarian candidate, Glenn Schwartz, who often runs for things, got on the ballot. Don't think he he makes much of a difference. However, in a five-way race where 40% of the vote is necessary to win, every little bit you throw in there contributes to the possibility of a runoff, which, which then becomes very interesting on who it gets in the runoff and who doesn't. Uh, to me, the most interesting race on the ballot is Ward 1. There are nine candidates for Ward 1, which is held by the irascible 88-year-old Irma Hendricks, a fixture on the board, not particularly effective as a city director, except she does often speak up for the poor and black people in her ward in, 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 in vibrant and sometimes useful ways, I think. And uh, the interesting thing is, is that I finally cleared up the question about city elections on this point. And to win a city board race, top vote getter wins. So in a nine-person race, she could conceivably win with 13% of the vote, <laughs> with, the, with the other eight divide. And Irma, that's a light voting ward. It's a ward that's lost population. It has been heavily black, although there's sort of a resurgent downtown population in, in the condo neighborhood of downtown, but that's three or 400 people maybe. So who knows? Irma may, may live to serve until she's 92, and she'll, she'll, go, she'll go griping all the way, I'm sure. All right, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you got this week? Oh, movies this week. I have something outside the norm. Number one, I, I, the Black KK Klansman's in town, Spike Lee's movie about the, the Colorado Springs police officer who impersonated a, a white person and got in with David Duke and other Klansmen. Just great movie uh, and, and particularly relevant to the times. There's a close that brings it all home with current events and racism hasn't gone away and scary stuff hasn't gone away. And so it's great and powerful in that regard. Funny at times, powerful at times, depressing at times. But I also want to mention that there's a really choice supporting role in the movie for our friend Ashley Atkinson, the Little Rock native who interned for us at one time. She plays the wife of a of a Klansman and, and figures in the climax of the movie and just has a great job. Just tickled to see her in a, a really good role. And the other movie I saw last night at the Clinton Center, and I, I don't know, surely it's on Netflix now somewhere, is the... Uh, Notorious RBG movie, the movie, the documentary about the life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I, I, anybody should see this movie. Everybody should see this movie. I mean, what she accomplished in bringing forward rights for women in her career as a lawyer is to see it in one place. It's just staggering. And to think how far we've come in only 30 years. I mean, some of her first big cases were in 1973 and 1978. And it's uh, women have advanced a lot. And, and I think it's another thing where there's a risk that it'll be lost. I mean, she's now the great dissenter on the Supreme Court. But she's a remarkably brilliant, resilient, incredible woman. And it's, uh, it's, it's just fa- it's fabulous. 
Cool. And she had a great and she had a great marriage. She she and her husband were just it's just it's also a love story about their relationship and it's it's great. Wow, I can't wait to see both those. I'm going to do a little bit of log rolling and uh, encourage everyone to read uh, the the latest from the Arkansas Nonprofit News Network. That's the cover of the Arkansas Times this week. And that's David Ramsey's uh, long feature on Rusty Cranford, the disgraced lobbyist and healthcare executive who uh, was the man in, in the middle of the, the vast, still ongoing public corruption scandal in Arkansas. It's... Uh, Possibly, if you've been following closely along the story, a lot of it will be familiar to you. But I suspect that that many people have not been following closely along to it because it's incredibly complicated, and most of the court filings have had entity one, two, three, person A, B, C, D. But Dave really did this story in kind of magazine style, so it's long and it still is a bit hard to read in places, probably. But uh, it, I think it's the closest thing anyone has done at really getting at the vastness of this scandal, which really is staggering, and people should be just outraged about. I mean, it, so. What what was gotten away with here is just crazy, and and there's still there's accountability to the extent some people have been charged and are going to jail, but not on the part of a lot of people that let this happen, who aren't necessarily criminally liable, but who are morally liable as legislators for letting this happen and there are a lot of them yeah well and there's a real there's some real flavor in this story you can right. rusty grifford was a very colorful he's guy. he's a colorful character and david really got got to him and i know a lot of people worked on getting there but it, it's good yeah well this story took uh i don't know how long more than a month um and yeah several people worked on it and probably will end up costing the equivalent of two months of the Arkansas Times freelance budget. And the Arkansas Times didn't pay for this, but just to give you a sense, it's it's expensive to do this kind of journalism. And um, if anybody out there thinks it's important, give us, Subscri- a, give subscribe us a contribution. Subscribe to the Arkansas Times, yeah, and, and, and donate to the Arkansas Nonprofit News Network. It's hard. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, Subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcast service. Catch us on Spotify now and make sure you catch our other podcasts. We'll be back next week. See you around.